Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Cinema Rabbit Trails. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be your host. I'm Jerry. Yeah. Hey, I'm Adam. And David. And we just watched the 1960 Western The Magnificent Seven. This is the original one. Uh, the remake is pretty good, but definitely the original is the best one. So, quick, quick synopsis. Basically, we have a village in Mexico near the border of the U.S., uh, near the border of Texas, actually. And they are getting robbed constantly by a gang. So the villagers go out across the border into a small town in Texas and start hiring some guns. Um, I say hire. Their money is pretty much minimal to where it's not even worth the job, so they're really just making a moral... <laughs> they're making a moral call to try to get some help. Uh, so you have a leader, Chris, and he's kind of... Uh, and he forms a friendship with a, another guy named Vin, and they form what are known as the Magnificent Seven. And they uh, they come down to this village and help them out and fight this gang. Um, spoiler alert, they win. <laughs> so, the main point of this movie, it's called The Magnificent Seven, but there are about ten different types of men. This is a, one of the reasons I love this film is because this, this is one of the ones I grew up with. This is my absolute favorite Western Uh Overall, it just covers so many different grounds, and every single man in The Magnificent Seven is a very different type, and they do a wonderful job creating each character and giving them value. But you also see uh, some other uh, three different types of men specifically outside of The Magnificent Seven who are part of the story. So I'm going to run through those real quick. First, uh, we see the cultivator, or you might call him the family man, and you see that in one of the villagers named Hilario. Though he is also, you kind of see that with all the villagers. But specifically, he's the one who speaks up the most and is really taking up the cause to fight for the village. So you have Hilario, the cultivator. Then you have the criminal. The criminal's name is Calvera. He has obviously his uh, his mob of other gangsters, but he's the leader. And one of the things that characterizes him, and there's one scene near the beginning where he acts as though and thinks that he is carrying just this such a heavy burden of responsibility. And you see that throughout the film where it's just like, how are my men going to get fed? And it's like, uh, well, you work for it. And like, we don't have time for that. <laughs> it's, uh, he thinks he's just being so righteous and helping his men. He doesn't care who he hurts along the way. Um, and very, very prideful and arrogant. Um, then outside of the Magnificent Seven, the last character you see is the steadfast old man. He's this old man who lives outside the village and he's constantly just giving advice, but he's also just kind of this joyous character. In the midst of all this violence, he's kind of just always happy a little bit. And it's uh, it's just very entertaining. And it's not morbidly so. Like, he's not morbidly happy. He understands there's pain going on. But he's kind of, he's, he knows he's near the end of his own life. And so he's just like, I'm just glad that there's some there's something going on <laughs> a little bit. But he's also, he's mostly he joyous, actually. He have Instagram, Facebook, oh, movies. No, he's no. like, I need to see something right? in my yep. life. But overall, he's uh, he's the man who just delves out wisdom, and you see him. He's the one who tells the village to fight and to hire guns or to get guns and, and start fighting. He's the one who tells the Magnificent Seven just like what they're fighting for in a lot of ways. He kind of pushes them along that route. Then, as far as the Magnificent Seven goes, you have the leader. That's Chris. You have the gun. That's Vin. The brazen young boy. His name is Chico. Then you have the desperate veteran Bernardo. Just run on a lot of hard times. Uh, the quiet, content wanderer, Brit. Um, if you watch the film, he's the one who has the knife and is really good with that. Then you have the broken legend. His name is Lee. Uh, used to be this legendary gunman in the wars, and now he's just lost his nerve and he's just terrified. 
Um, then you have the wealth seeker. His name is Harry. And uh, while he, you know, he generally does kind of have a good heart, wants to help these people, his main cause is like, oh, I heard there was like this gold mine around the area. I'll check that out while I'm here saving these people, see if they have any info on it. Uh, so you see all those different types of men, and they're all wonderfully carried out in character and throughout the story. You, you see it all kind of clash together. So, uh, so our first question. Uh, you see the villagers are fighting for a humble life. They're not fighting for glory. They're not, uh, they're not, they're, they just want to be able to farm and keep the fruits of their labor. That is what they're fighting for. And today, it seems like everything around us is so easily accessible so why is it that a humble lifestyle is, we, we never see it advertised, and it seems like it's no longer even easy to obtain. It's just a hard thing to actually obtain a simple, humble life. Um, why do you guys think that is? Well, humility is something that's not highly valued in our culture. We root for the people who are the gladiators of, you know, who fought to get theirs whatever that arena that may be. But the other thing is, there's no money in humility. We, you know, things are very amazingly built, but they're built to break after a certain amount of usage. Um, it's amazing how uh, things that were built uh, back in the day just could last forever, so it seems. But things nowadays are uh, designed, you know, like, what was it, like the, uh, the iPods? Uh, the wheels, like after you pushed a certain amount of times, so I think it was like after 10,000 clicks, it's designed to break. Mm -hmm. This is nothing against Apple, but that kind of mentality is we want, we want you to buy the next thing. And also with social media, we're always being encouraged, hey, buy this new TV. Why? Because it's a smart TV. Buy the new console. Buy. There's always something new to buy, and there's always money to be made off of it. So it's humility is nothing to be encouraged by because now you feel like you're left out. So... It's just a kind of a sign of the age that we live in is what's the next big thing. And that's also part of American culture as well. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would say would also be that prosperity is, it's on different levels. And so when you, you know, a town like this that they're trying to rescue, you know, if you have a few nuggets of gold, that might be like you're rich there mm -hmm. in the town. Mm -hmm. And so uh, kind of recognizing the value of your prosperity or where you are in your life at that point is actually very valuable to your well-being and how you influence and, and impact the community. Mm. Once you lose sight of that, that's when we look for conveniences. It's when we look for ways to simply better our own position, specifically, yeah. you know, like in isolation. So you see a lot of isolated incidents of trying to pursue prosperity as opposed to, as opposed to enjoying the prosperity we have and uh, affirming where it's come from, the history of it, you know, rather than just trying to pursue our own thing. That's interesting. So could you almost say then that you're talking about, you know, the prosperity that you have is almost, you recognize your wealth because of the community that you're in and the, having the isolation can affect that. Could it be that we live in such an age where because we are so globally interconnected, but yet we're so isolated, this is why we're not satisfied with stuff because we constantly are seeing what everybody else has without being part of those communities that's right. And we're staying at a distance. Mm -hmm. You know, we're kings of our own hills. Yeah. Kings of our own hills. I like that. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Because you see, even in the film, there's a realization of that. Because the, the village views itself as a village. It's not each man to his own home. It's we are a village protecting our own. 
this is this is a collective effort. <laughs> and we, we're not going to throw the real our farmers. <laughs> we are farmers. That's a little too convenient. No, no, but no. So even in history, this is a fictitious story. Obviously, um, you could probably relate it to some real instances of, with that throughout history, of course. But um, I would even I think the most equivalent, at least in this question, one of the things you can equate it to is the. Uh, the early settling of the U.S. colonies. Uh, People were making this huge, dangerous trek, you know, months of traveling across the ocean. Uh, A lot of them didn't even make it. And then once you get there, you have to face, you know, (laughs) you have to face indigenous population. Some of them might be trying to kill you. Some of them might really help you. Uh, And then also just, yeah, new seasons and new extremes, new diseases. You know, you just have to build stuff as well. And you're trying to raise a family there. It's all this danger simply because they wanted a simple life. And there's something that I was reading today. Uh, I got this book called The John MacArthur Handbook of Effective Biblical Leadership. And it's a collection of sermons from the Shepherds Conference. And this one by Mark Deaver. He said something here. I'm just going to read it real quick. Um, Let's see. One reason I like the Puritans so much is that they valued plainness. If If you were to tell a Puritan pastor that you thought he was painful, pathetic, and plain, you'd be giving him a high compliment. Painful entails taking pains in ministry. Pathetic entails feeling for the flock. Being plain means not drawing attention to yourself, but dealing straight with another's soul. Uh, I just like I love that because it was a culture that uh, the Puritan culture was one that truly valued uh, taking on the pains of another and pursuing plainness, simplicity, or humility. Well, and that came from their religious conviction that mm-hmm. these were men and women who uh, the Church of England was glad to get rid of because they wanted to purify the church, and the church at the time was an Anglican church, and England was just like, we are what we are. And this is the way you worship God. And these are people who are like, we want to worship God as we understand through Scripture and the Bible. And so I think that's where their plainness came from. It's like, this is as plainly as we see it. And so that's what they were trying to live that out. And, you know, they had to pay a price for that because, you know, it was an adventure. But that Mm -hmm. adventure had great peril to it. Yeah, everything in retrospect is, a, is an adventure. In the immediate moment, it's a little bit a more great, dire. That is a great, yeah. yeah, that's a great perspective. Everything retrospect is an adventure. Interesting thought, yeah, because it's like we want adventures, and yet we can still be in the middle of it and not yeah. even recognize that it will yeah. be an adventure. And you see that even in stories like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and you see in The Hobbit, you know, it's like it's this dangerous journey that he's on <laughs> that he's like he's terrified all the time. And then a couple, several years later, he's about to leave on his 111th birthday, and it's like, I want to see mountains again. Mm-hmm. It's like he's glorified this whole adventure, and it's pretty dire. Respect, I respect the effort, but also it's, it's not as glorified as you made it up in your own mind. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, moving on, there's a quote by Chris, the leader. Um, whenever Chico comes running into a bar, he's kind of been humiliated by Chris, and he's drunk, and he's just spewing all these feelings that he has and one thing chris says is graveyards are full of boys who are very young and very proud so the question what do boys need to survive beyond their early years of brave foolery 
Oh, well, first thing, a mentor. (laughs) They need someone who's with experience to say, hey, this is probably what you'll experience down Mm -hmm. the road. We know where you are. We know even your feelings of what you're experiencing, that excitement. And to say, hey, here's kind of a little more of a, uh, like a pathway or like a, uh, how would you call that? I wouldn't want to call it a rut, but just like the the grooves in the ground of Mm -hmm. like things that have traveled through. What cuts to the point? Like, hey, you're wanting to take this journey. Let me tell you how this journey ends. Yeah, yeah kind of like that. But it's like their wheels have, have paved that already. Oh, okay. Like, the, and not just them, but people yeah. before them, too. So, yeah, mentor would yeah. be first. Yeah, with that, like, there's a scene at the end I really kind of felt really good towards with uh, Bernard. There's these three young boys who really just love Bernard. He's just kind of like this amazing, like, he's everything they want to be. And they're like, we want to be just like you. And he really helps them understand. It's like, you don't want to be like me. I've lived my life. And yeah, it seems glorious. But here's an old man who's who's seeing what this kind of life lives like. He's like, there's something better I want you to live. Yeah. Don't make those same choices I made. And they're not because I was a bad person, per se. It's because they were easier. I was faced with the same temptation. So absolutely, having a mentor. But then also, that mentor gives you discipline. The discipline to realize what are the things that are really worth fighting for dying for going after and just having a bigger focus on what's what am I living my life towards because 40 years 50 years down the road if I make it that long that's where I'm going to end up am I going to be happy with that conclusion yeah all right next question how as young men must we prepare for the battles ahead find a mentor (laughs) (laughs) i knew it'd probably probably come to some of the same answers here but yeah um, i know you're going to mention this i think it'd be worth mentioning now though jerry you're going to mention that there's a quote that yeah we talked about um yeah so the scene david actually just mentioned uh the scene where it's bernardo and the three boys and one of the boys says we're ashamed to live here our fathers are cowards uh and bernardo Grabs the boy, pulls him over his knee, spanks him a couple times, puts him, stands him back up, and says, Don't you ever say that again about your fathers, because they are not cowards. You think I am brave because I carry a gun. Well, your fathers are much braver because they carry responsibility. For you, your brothers, your sisters, and your mothers. And this responsibility is like a big rock that weighs a ton. It bends and it twists them until, finally, it buries them under the ground. And there's nobody... Hang on, they kind of misdid this. And there's nobody that says they can do th- that they have to do this. They do it because they love you and because they want to. I have never had this kind of courage. Running a farm, working like a mule every day with no guarantee anything will come of it. This is bravery. That's why I never even started anything like that. That's why I never will. Hmm. So you see, he's he understands that he does not have the courage it takes to actually do live the life he, he actually wants to at this point. He's says, I, I never will have the courage to actually do that. The only thing I know how to do is have a gun and fight these battles, fight these wars. But really, I admire your fathers because they have they actually carry the responsibility and, that and is... And the thing, though, it's a different type of courage. Well, true. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I was like, it's a different type of courage because it does take courage to be like, this could be my last day I live. Hmm. Which is, you know, technically true, but just knowing every gunfight could be your last one. But realizing that's a different kind, but... Um, kind of with that, there's another quote that I was thinking of. Was talking about um, they're talking with some of the uh, city folk, and he says, you know, talking about fear. And the one of the townsmen replies, "Fear, uh, fear. We know what it is. 
We've lived it with we've lived with it all our lives. Only the dead have no fear. And I think what's really encouraging to us is realizing that life is can't be a scary place. And we are, you know, usually we like adventures because it's like, you know, hey, if I was in there, you know, like, you know, I just finished reading Fellowship of the Ring and just how exciting all that is. But I'm like, to live that, the terror of, I might not live to see another day. I don't know what the road is tomorrow. That fear plagues you. And it's not the kind of fear that you live with that moment by moment, going to sleep, waking up. What do you do with that? And as young men, I think that's the encouragement for us is you take your fear, you recognize it and say, how do I meet this head on? You make hard choices. You keep going forward without thinking about it, just realizing I have a job to do. You find mentors. You surround yourself with an amazing community that's going to encourage you and pour into you. And to me, that's how we engage those challenges is recognize our fear, what it is, and then say, what's the best thing? How do I meet this head on? And don't look back. Yeah. Yeah, and having a mentor will ease that fear even, or maybe not ease the fear, but ease your fear of the outcome at least maybe not the fear of facing it but the fear of the of what the outcome might be because you from a mentor's perspective they've had to face a lot of the same things and they can tell you how it turned out and obviously it's not going to be the exact specific way if you make the same choice uh if it's a good choice let's say it's not necessarily going to turn out exactly the same way but the the good end of the result is going to be there there's going to be good in the result if you follow the good choices or don't follow the bad choices that a mentor tells you about. So, well, and a wise mentor would recognize the situations of just like, mm-hmm. like you saw in the film, you had Chico ring the bell of the, the town, the emergency bell, and pull everyone out. You know, not even Chris was expecting that. Yeah. But that's an instance of like, it's okay to give them a little leeway to allow them to make mistakes or experiences or whatnot, you know, yeah. to be bold in and of themselves, but also to say, hey, this is not the right situation for this. So yeah. you really need both in order to, you need a mentor with those kinds of qualities, you know? Yeah. Cause either way, if you swing both ways to either extreme, you're going to have someone who's going to press you into a direction that could either be reckless or, uh, too, you could say restricting almost mm-hmm. like you're in a straight jacket. Yeah. I think, I think at this point it would be good for us to ask the question because we, we, we do love talking about mentors but some people might be asking, how do I find a good mentor? Because we can talk about it, but if we don't know how to do that. So I just want that, like, just for us Ask to an of... older man to coffee. <laughs> okay. Step one. Mm-hmm. Ask him to coffee. He may not be in, end up being your mentor, but have a conversation. Be 100... If, if he's a man you already trust, just be 1,000% honest with him. Because the only way you're going to know if he's the right person is if you give him the true struggles you are facing in the truest sense and the true feelings you're having, just, yeah. just open it all up because your, your, your fear and sin are going to only thrive in isolation. If you hold anything back, it's just going to find a root and keep growing. And yeah, I agree with that. But also, let me say, when you meet the guy for the first time for coffee, don't go pouring into your whole life for the first 10 minutes. Oh, no. okay? <laughs> find, find something like if he's good at graphic design or if he's a good family man, talk to him about that. Yeah, and then if things go over well, 
maybe after meeting you know eight or nine, then be like, <laughs> here are the deepest, darkest parts of my life. There you I'm go. Because you yeah. <laughs> you'll scare him off. Right. And you'll be like, what this happened? Sorry, I was there talking in giant generalities. No, so no, I, I, I agree. I just, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's about opening up conversation. Yes. And yeah. just like, but it has, it should be about them first of being able to, yeah. because what happens is if you don't open that, the you might say the siphon or whatever it is, to open, I don't, I don't remember what that word means at the moment. <laughs> it's you're like, not a leech. You're like, technically, yeah, you're, you're not, not a leech. Exactly. Leech. The minute you yeah. just link to that, then it just becomes desperate talk instead of, hey, tell me about your life, and then also more about them and how they communicate, and yeah. then you you actually have a human conversation. Oh yeah, the mentee serves the mentor just as much as the other way around. That's right. Yeah. Um, so a quick quote. We won't stick on this very long, but uh, there's a part where Calvera is talking to Chris. And he makes he says the quote, "If God didn't want them sheared, he would not have made them sheep." So you can see Calvera views everyone as a resource, even his own men. He would consider a resource, uh, the village and everything around him. Like he just considers everything a resource, and he's he's very practical. He's a very practical man, uh, even though he's very uh, villainous and angry all the time and everything. But he's he's actually I would actually say he's wrathful. Um, if you can, uh, diverting to a whole other different show here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Full Metal Alchemist, Wrath, you see <laughs> it's a good. quiet anger that sometimes yes. it can just explode and erupt, and it, mm-hmm. but then often it's just it's reserved and practical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think practical anger is another term for Wrath, and you kind of see that with Calvera, where it's just like, yeah, this makes sense. If I, if I kill you guys now, they're going to hear about it up north, and it's going to cause me more problems, so... Uh, it's like wrath does not let immediate anger get a hold of itself, which is all the more dangerous in a way. Um, but any other thoughts you guys had on that scene? Yes. I I think Calvera, when I was listening to him say this, especially this time when I watched the film, I, I just heard a child who was Mm. adventurous, who, uh, just wanted to look at the world and talk about it. Because you even saw it earlier when they were talking about... Remember when he was talking about organized religion yeah. to the rest of the town? It's like there he actually just seemed like he was just being honest. Hmm. Because just like, this is the way the world's operating. Like, he was actually excited about it. It wasn't, it wasn't some power play. He actually was just sharing it, you know? Hmm. Yeah. And so I, I think in that case, especially with that, it's definitely a superiority tactic of being like, I'm, I'm greater than you. I understand more about the world, things like that. So he's... He's an. It's interesting. He's an honest character who can, who can pull people into his, uh, his authority or his power. I guess you could say. Yeah. He's just practical, in a very cold, calculating way. Well, clever. There's a difference between intelligence and cleverness, because you can get away with a few clever moves, and he's just had enough to be able to, <laughs> to fill up his clever box. Yeah. You might say. As opposed to just mere intelligence, so you yeah. could maybe you could share like Chris was intelligent and uh, Calvero was more clever. Just yeah, to get away. like a thief can be clever but not intelligent necessarily. Yeah, true. I, I would give Calvero a little bit of intelligence because he's oh, absolutely. He's also yeah. like you even t- hear him talking about an army. He doesn't view himself as like the most powerful man on the earth. He's not. He does. He doesn't aspire to be either. That's right. The two terms are not exclusive. Yeah, right? true. So, um, okay, so. Uh, I'm going to get to this one big question that I want to ask, but before we get to that, uh, where will defining yourself by your skill or reputation get you, and why would it get you there? 
There, you can go first if you want. Where will it get you? So, yeah. So, overall, this this harps back to a question I'm going to ask here in a little bit. So, I'm kind of reversing things a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you see them them talking about their own careers as hired guns a lot. Now, obviously, pretty much all of these of the men of the Magnificent Seven are are the good guys. They've always fought the good wars, the what you would say the righteous wars. But they've lived by the gun. Let's say live by the sword, die by the sword, kind of. So, where will defining yourself by your skill or your reputation get you? And you also see this with Lee, because he has defined himself by his skill as one of the most legendary gunmen. You know, he said, there was a time whenever I could, there were three flies on the table and I caught all three. Now he's, I can only catch one. You know, he's yeah. defined himself by his skill and his reputation. Where will that get you? So, it will get you many places, <laughs> I think. Like, in life, practically, it will get you to many places, but eventually something will catch up to you to tell you that you're really not living. You know, like, you are just... You're engaging in activities, maybe. You get to understand something thoroughly, but that doesn't encompass life itself. It doesn't encompass the way... You know, as you saw with Lee, you know, he was a celebrated war hero, and yet that wasn't enough to save who he was as a person. You know, it wasn't enough to save him from the nightmares he was having and all of that. So there's a lot more to life than just uh, acquiring a skill set and things like that. I was just here on the radio the other day, and someone was just, a pastor's talking about the difference between being efficient and effective. I never thought of it this way, but efficiency deals with getting a job done, how good are you at your skill, and we can be very efficient in the work that we do, but it can leave very little impact, or be very a very little effect in someone's life. And so this is an area in my life where I'm seeking, you know, where do I want to work at, but in that mission... Of trying to figure out what's my my thing, you know. There's the things I'm good at, but also realizing what kind of an impact, how do I affect people? And I think that's always got to be the thing I remind myself is it really doesn't ultimately matter what I do. It matters how do I affect the people around me. Am I leading well? Am I pouring into the people who are younger than me? Am I honoring and encouraging the people who are older than me? And I think that has that has a lot to do with your own inter- and personal t- integrity. But then also. You know, the more skill that you have in a job, the more opportunity you'll have to affect or impact people. So that's how I would answer that question is just kind of reminding myself, get good at a skill. You can make more money doing that, but also realizing that's not the end goal is to make more money. It's to realize I'm here to make a lasting impact on people. And what will the work that I do, how will that accomplish that? Okay. All right, so the question I'm probably most excited to ask. Okay. All right, so two different scenes here I'm going to explain real quick. So there's a scene where Chico is talking about and showing that he thinks that a gun will get him everything he wants in life and give him total freedom. You see that he kind of, that's his repetitive, that's a repetitive part of his character. Um, but the others, they, they sort of rebuke him. Uh, he doesn't quite get that they're rebuking him. Um, they're just saying, like, yeah, they, they have... Uh, no wife, no kids, no uh, no prospects, no uh, no ties down, not, no man that will hold you accountable. No, it's like, and he's kind of viewing all this these as good things. Chico is viewing all this as good, and all the other guys are, are all the other men of the Magnificent Seven are really saying, no, we want all this. Like this is stuff we we wish we had recognized earlier on and pursued these things. Uh, and later we see Vin and Chris talking about how they wish they could settle down and put down their guns. 
or at least their guns as a way of life, let's say. So, my question, how can we know before it's too late when we are killing our futures by boyishly and endlessly... Sorry. Hang on. Running. That's the word. I I have a terrible (laughs) handwriting, so... I was trying to be so emphatic, and I missed the word. How can we know before it's too late when we are killing our futures by boyishly and endlessly running into what we think are righteous wars for the sake of self-glorification? How can we know that before it's too late? Starts with an M. Mentors. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, as we've already mentioned, these men have already walked down that road. And... They can tell you, you know, they men have told me, it's like, David, you're fine. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm going through this and that and the other. They're like, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, what do you mean <laughs> that's great? I'm dying here. They're like, no, you're, you are not quitting. You are not complacent. And I'm just like, I know I'm not complacent. That's why I am sleep deprived and frustrated. But they're saying like, you're, you're hungry still. You are still willing to fight. And so in that regard, that's encouraged me to be like, you know what? Maybe this is part of the game is not knowing is part of getting through and vice versa with you know the um, other guys who are just like jumping in head first and you know making this venture this and that venture happen there can be other men in their life be like hey you need to slow down here because here's what 20 years of this is going to look like and you're not going to be happy with the result of that so really being humble enough to realize like I don't have it all I don't know it all and realizing that are there men around me who know more than I do maybe I can pick the brain and learn a few things as well yeah I think just leaping off of that I mean the big message out of this is you need community (laughs) because so much of it it's like you're it like it's more effective to be a crop or like the way the farmers grew the crops to to be in soil to be watered by others you know that means you have to be dependent on that right you can't just water yourself and so you look at Calvera he was trying to yes he was helping his men out trying to get him food and water but in the end he wanted power for himself wanted to take the the whole village over practically and what did that get him i mean it only it led to his own end which meant the end of himself so the him dying didn't cost much yeah like it's more effective when you have a group of people thinking about one another seeming like you're just a piece of the puzzle yeah and you dying and for for a sake of that instead of just fighting for yourself and dying for that yeah and what you see is Calvera at his very end, as he's dying, his last words are, why? He doesn't understand why the Magnificent Seven, they got kicked out, they, they got kind of double-crossed, got kicked out of the village, thrown their guns and told to leave because the village was now, the, the, Calvera's men had encamped in, in, uh, and fortified themselves in the village now and kicked the Magnificent Seven out. And the Magnificent Seven grab their guns, limited ammo, and go back to the town and try to save it. And Calvera does not understand why, because uh, he thought he understood these men as just they were mercenaries, so they just you know they they wanted the pay basically, uh, or the glory even, and so Calvera did not understand this, and he just he dies asking why, and so what you really see is Calvera is simply the magnificent seven without ever having realized what living by the gun gets you. Mm. All right. Any objections to that statement, I guess? <laughs> okay. I thought you were just looking at us for, like, dramatic pause. It was. Like... Now, I know, but I, I can't communicate that to our listeners because they don't see the dramatic... dramatically pausing and looking at the microphone. No objections, Your Honor. All right. All right. 
Uh, don't put me on that kind of a pedestal, please. <laughs> All right, so final question for tonight. Um, what did Chris mean when at the very end of the film he says, the farmers won, we always lose? They've defeated Calvera. They've saved the village. They've lost four out of the seven of them. And he says, the farmers won, we always lose. Yeah, it's had kind of kind of similar to what my last statement was about like we were always meant to be planted in the soil. You know, we were created by we believe God, and so in that sense, we are always going to have our feet firmly planted on the ground. But like the farmers had told the Magnificent Seven, or I guess Chris and Vin and Chico at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Is it Chico? Yeah, I say that right. Yeah. Okay, Chris or yeah, Chris, Vin, and Chico. Yeah, that's right. At that point, they were telling me you're just you're like the wind blowing over. You know, saying how it was effective, like that you were able to save our town, you know, and then you're just passing on. And that was meant as a compliment, but it also points at their life of, hey, you're not, you're not going to find any place to, to actually live and to, to yeah. settle it down. And that's, what, that's more of what we're meant to as a, hum, a human race is to find, I might say, our people, you know, of just those who we love, those who we cherish, and, uh, and cultivate a community where we are. We're not called to be moving on to different places because uh, change is expected in life. But at the same time, part of what makes change change is because we're we're uh, we have a sameness about life too. So the whole point isn't to be changing moment by moment. It's like I think it was Vin's character that said something about that. He said like, "Do you uh, like when the read." He said, "With the read, are we going to yeah, read the that wind blows, or sorry, yeah, exactly. yeah, something like that, yeah." So, um, I don't think that's exactly pointing to this context, but still, yeah, I, I guess that would be more to the point. I would say. Okay, but what do you think, yeah. David? I do love that idea that heroes always lose. It sounds so negative, but you really realize, as much as we love watching, you know, the Avengers and all these other, you know, DC superhero movies that we love so much, uh, we do realize that these people live kind of a very lonely life mm-hmm. it's not all glamour um except for bruce wayne because he's a billionaire but it's not all glamour um because um they're and i've been learning a lot about what this is this idea of ministry because ministry has an interesting double meaning to it where it's like from a you know christian or even religious stance like ministry it's like oh cool we're gonna go minister to people and I can imagine um, secular people like saying, like, oh, ministry, like, they just make a bunch of money, and it's just very... But I'm realizing that ministry is a very selfless job. And um, the idea I wrote down is, in kind of these... Um, their, this Magnificent Seven's position is, uh, their glory is making someone else's uh, world a better place. So in a sense, they're fighting to make a world that is not their own better. Because they receive no satisfaction and they they can't enter into that world and lord of the rings um frodo when he's you know throws the ring to the um spoiler uh throws the ring into mount doom he tells sam that the shire is safe but it's not safe for him mm-hmm. and that's the idea of ministry is you are ending into a world that is not your own there to serve the people who cannot pay you back and out of your busy schedule the sweat that you're going to give the, thank, the thankless hours you're going to put in, will you still do that? And I think that's why heroes always lose is because there are going to be times where people don't thank you. Maybe they might even hate you because they don't understand the situation and it's not your job to make them understand. And that's what I'm realizing is 
I'm seeing people who are involved in human trafficking ministries and outreaches and just like this is their life they serve these people and there's no great big fat paycheck at the end of the week for that there's no we finally have accomplished this it's that service of I'm putting these people first and I'm loving these people even if it's a thankless job so I think that's why that's Jesus yeah (laughs) and that's why looking like Jesus is so hard if not impossible because we don't want to do that. We talked about, you know, wanting to make our mark and, you know, being men of yeah. making in the world. There's none of that for you there. And we see at the end of that, it's like wielding a gun. It's a, you know, it's a fun ride, but you're going to die alone. And I don't think that's, that's not the life any of us want to live ultimately. Yeah. All right. So you can say this in short statement or in any way you want, but short burst. Qu- question we're going to ask to close this out. Um, and I will answer it myself as well. But what fight are you facing right now that you don't have the resources to face? Uh, let's see, resources. I want to say, when in regards to resources, I would say skill level maybe, because it has to do with uh, the desire to compose music. I think part of that is I'm facing a situation where it's a very real possibility for me to actually pursue that, maybe even eventually to, for commissions and to, to make money off of that. But ultimately, it's the passion of just loving music and being able to create it and share it with others. But at the same time, I'm recognizing also that I don't have the deepest skill level in order to have that right now. And so it could be years, years later on, where I actually could be able to, to do that. But that's going to require every single day investing in writing music and doing all of these things so I guess you could say I have some resources to pursue that but ultimately you need an instructor you need all kinds of things that maybe I can't afford right now so it's just a matter of this This really goes down to uh, what are you doing like even with 10 minutes of your day in order to pursue your passion or to, to pursue the things that you recognize at least you're a little gifted in because if you see those if you see it in those little increments like that, you can actually pursue a whole lot more. And it's taken me a long time to recognize that. Because we all think we need large spurts of time. We think we, in order to write, we need to go to Starbucks and sit down on our computer for hours in order to accomplish it. And that's not the case. It can be writing it on a piece of, you know, a napkin. I mean, that's what J.K. Rowling did, you know, so... Yes, it's a that, very long napkin. Yeah, it's very long. <laughs> right, she did write the it's story. toilet paper roll. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Chapter thirty-five. That's what I think of Harry Potter. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> no, but the, I would say that would be, the, you know, that would definitely be one of my challenges right now is pursuing something that I I deeply love and know that I'm gifted in, and yet just simply have to come with the reality that I don't have all the resources I need mm-hmm. and have to work within just increments. Okay, David, for me. It's believing that the good is coming. Kind of like with the crop metaphor, you plant a seed in the ground and believing that there's going to be a crop that comes with that. And if you're persistent with watering it, taking care of it, that there's good to come out of that. Because I tend to be very, uh, we were talking about this earlier, you know, pessimism and realistic. And I know for me, a part of that's a um, safety precaution where it's like, if I play this really low that's going to protect me from being disappointed bitter and whatnot and as a result that's made me cynical about you know the work I do people I meet 
and that's something that I'm I'm learning to get better with but I'm also just learning to say God help me to believe that the good is coming because God's promised that you know not everything is good but he said all things work together for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose and there was a situation I had at work recently where um, I had a issue with a coworker, and it was my fault and I was so anxious about it and finally I had to get to the point where I'm just like God I don't know what's going to happen with this situation but at some point I have to let go and just say that this is going to work out and the situation resolved itself beautifully where he apologized to me saying I apologize for the way I re reacted but all this to say is believing that the good is coming that you make a choice you put in your hard work for that and believe that it's coming and then if you know it's it's going to happen and even if it doesn't happen you've given your best shot and you've learned some things in the meantime and then you can grow from there and make another choice yeah yeah mm -hmm. my only challenge to that is read jeremiah <laughs> the good never came in in the practical sense sure mm -hmm. so and it's yeah. and the same and, and all we're about to that saying that it's what we define to be good that's true and that's the whole point is that's why we get so stressed and this is why um what's his who's the the main bad guy in, oh Calvera. Calvera, Calvera. you know in his mind his ultimate good is feeding my men it's like you do realize you also have created a you're trapped in your own economy here you have these men and all you do is just pillage and plunder from town to town to town it's like if all these guys had jobs you wouldn't have this responsibility hmm. but it's you know it's it's you having yourself like what's my definition of what a good outcome is going to be in this and that's where I'm having to learn to let go it's like we have such high expectations of like well I want to be perfectly satisfied I want to have a perfect marriage I want to make this much money I want to have this kind of house and that's a lot of stress and if that's your old definition of good of course that's going to be overwhelming of course you can be depressed because you're not going to have all this stuff and social media doesn't help with that but you know, kind of we're talking about a simpler life, thinking like, what's really important here? You know, if, if I can make, make my bills, if I can have this good community of relationships, I can live an honorable life and love the people God's called me to love, then that's something you can strive for. And that's not a bad way to live. And who knows, there may be some extra zeros that come at it in your paycheck as well as living that way. All right. Well, I will answer my own question. The battle that I am facing that I do not have the resources to fight is certainly lust. That is something that has uh, been an ongoing struggle, as it is with a lot of a lot of guys and young men and boys and yep. everything, understandably. But uh, this is this is a war that I have tried to fight with every single weapon in my own arsenal, and every single one has failed. The best that any of them have done have delayed, have, have won a few battles for a few weeks, and then they just kind of fall apart. And um, it's uh, yeah, it, it's an overwhelming struggle that I'm just absolutely sick of. So uh, yeah. yeah, and that's something that you just got to pursue other resources. Mentor is a very significant mm -hmm. help that I have finally pursued, but it's only just beginning, and uh, so there's only there's a lot of time that has to take place there. But yeah. I have to wonder how many of our issues can we actually effectively work through if we had the right, if we had good community around us and good mentors pouring into us. Most of it, <laughs> really, most of it. Yeah, just a thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but the, the the problem is that at the behind every sin there is also pride, 
Yep. Every single, no matter what the sin is, whether it's adultery, whether it's uh, lust and arrogance or uh, cheating, stealing, there's always pride that you want behind that that ensures that you, that is trying to fight for you to never reveal that you did it. Well, it's this obsession of like, I want to get what's mine, what's coming to me. Yeah. And that can take that can take its identities in a thousand different ways. There's ways that people act that are very prideful that we wouldn't recognize as pride. The person who says who takes the stage in the room says like, "Look at me, and I'm you know I'm this and that and the other," is just as prideful as the person who refuses to talk to anybody because True. they believe that they're above everybody or they're so insecure. Because pride's only focusing on ourselves, yeah. and that's the thing we all have to be aware of. Is like, is the focus on me? Yeah. If it is, why is it on me? And how can I, what's really the truth here? How can I love somebody else just because it's what I'm called to do? So if you're asking yourself the question, why don't I have community? Why don't I have close friends? Or why do I feel like I'm lacking something? Hmm. You might ask yourself the question, how do I compare myself to others? Is it everyone has something that I don't have? Or is it, I'm better than everybody else? Either one's going to lose you any community. Maybe being willing to vest yourself in the community. Because that's, that's what I'm realizing is, you know, with time, you know, we're busy. And it's hard to want to give yourself and to be involved in a community. Take some humility, too, because it's like, I don't know, this is my kind of community. I, you know, this is, but it's like, but if you don't invest yourself in it and take that first step, you'll never know. So you might say, it takes a village. Yes. <laughs> As many things in life, it takes a village. All right. yes. Well, we'll wrap this up. A uh, couple of questions that we didn't get around to asking, but just want to pose to anyone listening, is uh, should a good man learn the ways of violence to use when necessary? And how should a, how should a man be prepared to face evil today? Another question, is silence the best weapon against pride? And if so, why? What does it take to inspire men to rise up and face evil? Uh, why does surviving danger and trials make us enjoy life so much more? Uh, and lastly, why are young men scared of commitment? And why do women have such a power to change our minds? <laughs> so those are our questions. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. I really recommend you go watch the original Magnificent Seven uh, it is one of the best westerns, the best western in my opinion. Uh, really, s- just shares some face value truths that uh, we just kind of need to be reminded of, especially in today's culture, but just on a regular basis. So, all right. Well, for Cinema Rabbit Trails, this is Jerry. It's Adam and David. You guys have a good night. <laughs>